Hello, and welcome to PhD Paranormal. Where a pair of supposedly normal PhDs talk about all the spooky paranormal things in the world. Hello, Dr. Ed. Hello, Dr. Evan. How are you today? I am all right. How are you? I am fantastic. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and ghosts are doing what they do best. Nothing. Taking a nap. Taking a nap. Um, They're taking a nap, of course, because... I don't know why they're taking a nap. A dirt nap. I don't know, but we should note that uh, there's a different intro. Yes, yes. Um, For those of you who are listening, you probably experienced this much longer intro piece. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Dr. Evan, would you like to talk about that? Yes, we had um, talked last week about how we had, you know, chosen a intro for the podcast. But then we decided that the students had worked really hard on these different intros for us. And so we wanted to feature another one of the intros. So this one is from Zach Oliver. So this was his intro that he proposed, and we wanted to, you know, let you all hear it. We have one more intro. Um, We couldn't download it to add it to the podcast yet, so hopefully we can play that for you when we come back um, after the summer. Yes. But we, of course, are always welcome to any feedback you have on anything we do in the podcast, music, things like that. Um, We really respect you and your views as our listeners, unless your views are wrong, and then we don't respect them. Oh, my gosh. All right. (laughs) This coming from the political scientist who's always just like, well, we have to respect and listen, and I'm always the one who's like, meh. (laughs) (laughs) Just like that. I do. Angry duck squirrel. Meh. Duck squirrel? I don't know. It's interesting that you say that because... It'll, it'll make sense later. Okay. But we also wanted to take a second to shout out our patrons on this last podcast before our break. Yes, we have many of them who have been very kind and generous and have provided us with so much time out and do over the course of this uh, season. Um, so much so I'm actually a little burned out on Diet Mountain Dew, so I'll have to find a new beverage of choice. Well, maybe after a summer off from free Diet Dew, you will come back wanting more free Diet right. Dew. Right. So our Patrons include such wonderful people as The Captain and Creepy Crawl Space Girl. Um, Apple Pie, Money Penny. Uh, Ghost It, The Ghost Whisperer, and The Gypsy Queen. Um, oh, I'm starting to forget them all in my head. Jet? Jet? The Jet? The Jet. The Jet, yes. Um, oh, The Philosopher? Philosophizer? He's our newest patron and one that perhaps we forget the name of? <laughs> it's Philosa something or other. So thank I don't think you. it's Philosophizer because... I think that was the, the it's like Philosophoner or something. Yeah. I don't know. We will get it straight. Yes. Dear patron friend. Yes. Um, have we forgotten anyone? We probably have. It's, friends, it's the end of the semester. We are fried. Yes. We also solved a murder last night. We did. Although I still think it was something else, but... He didn't. Okay, so we went to a friend's house, um, friend of the podcast, and two friends of the podcast, really. Um, One who's a better friend because she and the couple makes them listen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they invited us over to play one of those uh, like murder mystery games where it's like a cold case and you have to solve the murder. Right. Um, We solved the murder. Yes. uh, But Dr. Edwin did not care for the. Story. It was rubbish. Rubbish. <laughs> trash. He wanted it to get very soap operatic. Whatever. It had a sanctimonious, just say no message at the end, and I disliked it a lot. You want listeners, just say no to cocaine. Because <laughs> it had to do with cocaine, so just say no. Sanctimoniously. <laughs> anyway, he, he thought that there was a different story, which is actually a better story. Yes. For sure. Yes. But it was not the story. So I was most angry. But anyway... Um, <laughs> it is the end of the semester. It is the end of the semester. And, of course, the scariest thing that's going on at the end of the semester, of course, is grading. It is finals for students. It is final projects. It is senior capstones. It's all that stuff that we do at the university, which generates all sorts of negative energy. So when <laughs> these things, when we eventually pass away, there's this negative energy vortex that will cause this university to become even more haunted than the demon that continues to live in my corner. Um and is can now now I can't print it all from my computer, by the way. So my technology demon continues to haunt me. I claim that it's just the Mac. No. No, Macs are amazing. Nah, that's debatable. But it's not debatable. It's summer. <laughs> but it's summer. it is summer. That's not debatable. 
No. Well, actually, I think technically it's not summer. <laughs> <laughs> it is debatable, but it's our summer. Yes. And, um, you know, as we have told you all before, this is our last podcast for a little while um, because we are both traveling, doing research. As we've talked to you about, Dr. Ed is going to Europe for a while. Do some ghost hunting. Mm -hmm. And um, we're both going to update you on the Facebooks. Yes, that is our broken promise. Eternally, which is to keep the Facebook page updated and vibrant. <laughs> we sometimes do it. We try very hard, but um, we're busy. It, yeah. You have to schedule stuff out in advance, and uh, that's hard for me to do. Yes, um, but summertime. Yes, summer's amazing. So now, I guess why I like summer is because summer's outside time. Ooh. You get to be outside. Ugh. And, um, well, not everyone agrees with being outside <laughs> as a good thing. Um, people who shall remain nameless, Dr. Evan. Um, no, I don't mind being outside. If you have your own bed. No, that's camping. It's you a know, different thing. Camping and outside, they're the same thing for me. Synonymous. Okay, you don't, you walk outside and you're not camping. Oh, yeah, totally. Anyway, I don't like mosquitoes because they love me. I don't like sunburn. I don't like heat. I don't like humidity. And I don't like being uncomfortable. So all of those things combined equal outside bad, except in the fall. Uh, I would say that's fair, but I think outside is a great place to be because outside equals fun and adventure. Fresh air gets in your lungs, right? All oh, that I'll bad go for stuff. a walk outside in an um, area that is safe and there's no creepy crawlies because... Outside is actually kind of dangerous sometimes, Dr. Ed. Well, it is true that when you go outside, pretty much everything outside wants to kill you. Yeah, and I have horrific seasonal allergies. So, as I joke, when the trees are getting freaky is uh, <laughs> the worst time of my life. Right. I am sympathetic. Um, I'm allergic to things that want to eat me, like bears and um, elk. Um, are you actually allergic to bears, though? Because I have a sense that if you could pet one, you'd be... All over petting that bear. Yes, but I'm still allergic to it. <laughs> it still wants to eat me. That's not really what allergies kill me. mean. But, but there are all kinds of things outside that can harm us or kill us yeah. or things that we don't understand outside. Well, that is true. And that is actually the source of a lot of campfire stories. Of course, uh, I grew up camping. We didn't get a lot of scary stories because, as I've told you before, I was pretty spooked as a kid most of the time. But now when I go camping with some of my um, colleagues and friends from graduate school and others who have young children, they always want me to tell ghost stories because they say I tell the best ghost stories. But it's always that fine line between how ghosty of a story you tell an 11-year-old, right? Because they're at that weird age where it might just be too much. So anything ranging from the ghost of the bloody finger on up can become good ghost time stories until everyone goes to bed and you start to hear weird noises at night. But what scares me outside is not so much the ghosties, because we've talked about my beliefs regarding ghosties. She doesn't believe. She's wrong, but that's okay. I am open to real evidence. I just got the hand. What hand? I am open to stop. I did not stop. I gestured. Yeah. Both of us talk with our hands. Um, what I'm creeped out by are things that want to murder me in terms of animals. And ghosts. I'm trying to do a segue here, man. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and that brings us to the topic of today's podcast, which are things that might want to murder you in the outside. Yes, because as we began, so shall we end with the subject of... This season, not the whole yeah, podcast. Yes. We started uh, out with... Bigfoot. A creature that allegedly walks the earth. Yes. And today we're going to end with creatures that allegedly fly. Above the earth. Yes. It is cryptid time, friends. Woohoo! Yes, we have two cryptids that we're going to talk about today, both of whom um, fly, just <laughs> have we decided on two. Um, Dr. Ed is going to talk about the Mothman. Yes. Which we'll talk about why he is my favorite cryptid that I don't believe exists. And I'm going to talk about the Jersey Devil. Oh, those Jersey Devils. Yes. Or also known as the Leeds Devil. Oh, or the Jersey Shore um, situation. Yeah, it doesn't have abs, nor does it have frosted dips. So there you go. Life is full of disappointment. Well, actually, I don't know. The Jersey Devil might have abs. I don't think so. Yeah, I have yet to see a, an accurate rendition. <laughs> well, we have reasons for that. Okay. But let's get into it. All right, let's All do right. it. So I'm going to talk about the Jersey Devil. Okay. Which is a cryptid that I think a lot of people have like heard of, but don't necessarily know what it is. 
I'm guessing it's a devil, and it's from Jersey. All right. Well. We'll let that awkward silence <laughs> speak volumes. This is actually um, a very, a rather old and just very American cryptid. Okay. Because, you know, some cryptids, like when we talked about Bigfoot, there are legends in a lot of places of a Bigfoot-type creature. But the Jersey Devil is pretty much distinctly American. I couldn't find anything similar to the Jersey Devil in other discussions of cryptids. But the legend of the Jersey Devil dates back to 1735. Way back when. Way back when. When a um, Pines, New Jersey resident known as Mother Leeds. Ah, Mother Leeds. So she lived in New Jersey, which is why it's the Jersey Devil. Her last name was Leeds, which is why it's called Leeds Devil sometimes. Um, I'm assuming she was a mother? Yeah, uh, of 12. Okay. (laughs) And she was pregnant for the 13th time. In 1735. Um, And um, Mother Leeds was in a household that was not particularly wealthy. And Mother Leeds um, had no interest in more children. (laughs) I would hope not. Right. I mean, the survival rate was not good, of course. Well, clearly she had a good survival rate because she had 12 children and she was pregnant for a 13th time. And they all lived, though. That's the legend. Okay. So... She gave birth to some healthy babies. All right. Good for her. But her husband was a drunk Uh. and didn't really provide well for the family, which in 1735, the husband was supposed to be, um, you know, taking care. And allegedly, upon learning of her 13th child, she appealed to the heavens and proclaimed, quote, let this one be a devil. You know, listeners, just as a quick sidebar... I don't know about you, but that actually just seems like a bad idea. Like, why tempt fate? I have... I don't know what I want to say here, because I probably would have wished for something very different (laughs) than the child being a devil. Well, I know. I mean, yeah, we've had lots of conversations. Like, you just don't invite evil into your lives. When there's weird people at your door, you don't let them in. And when the Ouija board says, hi, can I come in? And you're like, no, you say no, right? So why say, let this one be a devil? I don't know. I have a lot. I've lost a lot of respect for you, Mother Leeds. Go ahead. Well, anyway, a few months later, Mother Leeds went into labor on a stormy night, as mm. the legend goes. Was it dark? I would assume so. Because it was a dark and stormy night. It was night. night and it was stormy. So I assume those things combined equal dark. Oh, And she, you know, had not remembered the curse. It had been many months. And the local midwives gathered to deliver the baby. And by all accounts, the birth went smoothly. Mother Leeds is good at having babies. Um, And the 13th Leeds child was a seemingly normal baby boy. However, within minutes, Mother Leeds' wish of months before began to come to fruition Allegedly, the baby started to change and evolve right before their eyes. Within moments, it had transformed from a baby into a hideous creature that no one could describe. Um, Allegedly, it had sprouted horns from the top of its head. It had talon-like claws that came through the tips of its fingers. It had bat-like wings that furled from the back of the baby. And hair and feathers began sprouting in different parts of the baby's body. Its eyes began glowing bright red as it began to gnash its teeth and snarl because it also grew teeth. Um, and then the creature attacked its own mother, killing Mother Leeds. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. Shocked. Shocked I am. Look, Mother Leeds is having a hard time. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Happy um, Mother's Day. Oh. <laughs> it then allegedly turned its attention to the midwives and the rest of the family. It flew at them, clawing and biting and shrieking. Um, it killed some of the midwives, maimed and killed others. It then knocked down the door to the next room where the rest of the Leeds family was cowering in fear, attacking and killing more. And then allegedly it sprinted out of the house and flew into the dark night. And that is the story of how, allegedly, the Leeds devil came to be. So every every villain has an origin. Well, this one might have two. Okay. Let's hear the second one. Allegedly, the second potential tale is much later. Okay. And in this tale, a young woman um, who was unwed got freaky with a British soldier. 
um, in the midst of the revolution. And she was cursed by the townspeople who were patriots. Sorry, I was trying to think of terms. <laughs> um, who were patriots, so on the side of the colonies in their battle against Britain. And then allegedly out of this curse was born this demon baby. But folklore say that, that, that actually it's probably older than that. Okay. So the real origins probably come from a story like this. Right, the um, original story that I told you. And the other one might have come later. Okay. But um, from then, there have been tales of sighting of the Jersey Devil. And the devil is described alternately in various ways. Um, It is most commonly described as having the body of a kangaroo, but smaller. Okay. The head of a dog. Okay. The face of a horse. Okay, I'm trying to understand how you disassociate the face from the head. So I think it means like it has like dog-like ears. Okay. But then it has the long snout like a horse. I wonder if they're like basset hound ears. Well, we have various drawings of him. And honestly, his face kind of looks like a capybara to me. (laughs) Um, Which if readers, if you don't, or listeners, if you don't know about a capybara... They're delightful creatures. They are. You should tell them what they are. They're essentially massive rodents. Yes. But they're really cute. Yes. Um, Biggest rodents in the world. Yeah. And they're not dirty or anything like that. You know, they're not associated with, like, rats. Right. But they're very large and they're very cute. And they have cute little feet that I think have three fingers. They're very sweet and very cute and very large. Okay. Like, larger than, like, medium-sized dogs. But just to keep things clear, um, so there's no confusion, the Jersey Devil could not be a capybara because capybara are not native to the Jersey pines. Are they South American? Yes. Okay. Uh, but neither are kangaroos, so I don't know what to do. Anyway, body of a kangaroo, head of a dog, face of a horse, large leathery wings similar to bats. I mean, not so much birds, but similar to bats. Antlers like those of a deer. A forked reptilian tail. And... As this um, article describes, quote, intimidating claws. Fair enough. But we've had various accounts. Um, The Jersey Devil is so popular that New Jersey is the only state with an official devil. Oh. The Jersey Devil is the official state devil of New Jersey. Is that why? Isn't there a team, the Jersey Blue Devils? I don't know. I think there's a... That's sports ball. I I think there's a, a hockey team, perhaps, or something. I don't know. I'd have to Google such things. Right. Um, But we've had various tales reaching back into the 18th and 19th centuries. Okay. So after this alleged mother leads who gave birth to the child, the next most famous account comes from 1812, when allegedly Joseph Bonaparte, Napoleon's older brother, claimed that he saw the Jersey Devil when he was hunting near his Bordentown estate. That basically he was out hunting and heard strange sounds, saw footprints that were very strange. He was, you know, a good hunter, so you can recognize the footprints of various animals. Um, And that he had not been attacked by the Jersey Devil, but was convinced that the sounds that he saw, um, the footprints that he saw, etc., could belong to no creature that he had ever heard of. So he didn't actually see anything. That's my understanding. He did not see the Jersey Devil specifically, but saw what he considered evidence of the Jersey Devil. Gotcha. Um, The next huge sighting actually came um, in January of 1909. Okay. And this particular one is important because this is when the Jersey Devil really started hitting the newspapers. And newspapers were putting out bounties on the Jersey Devil and printing lots of stories about the Jersey Devil. So early in January of 1909, reports had started to emerge throughout the Delaware Valley of New Jersey that strange tracks were being found in the snow. And that these were tracks that no one recognized as any animal they understood. And that the tracks were going under fences, through fields and backyards, And even some people who would get up on their house to scrape, basically get the snow off the roof. Because also when you get a lot of snow, you really do need to get it off your roof um, so it doesn't leak. Or collapse. Yeah. Right. Um, They saw them on the rooftops. 
There are even tales that went as far as Camden and Philadelphia. And panic started to spread because there were also some tales of dead animals. Which kind of remind me a little bit of the chupacabra. Okay. Right? Um, They then began to use bloodhounds. The actual police officers throughout various towns began gathering bloodhounds to see if they could track down this mysterious creature. Uh, Schools actually started to close throughout um, New Jersey and even in Philadelphia because parents were scared to let their kids out of their house because they truly thought that there was some kind of um, crazy creature. And in fact, in that month, over a thousand reports came in from residents saying that they actually saw the Jersey Devil. So not just the footprints, but actually saw with their own eyes. So I wonder if that means that there's one Jersey Devil that is speedy and can move very quickly from locale to locale, or if there are multiple Jersey Devils, if we're talking about a species of cryptid as opposed to a cryptid. I'm not sure, but in um, Bristol, Pennsylvania, and in Camden, city police officers fired upon a creature that they believed to be the Jersey Devil, but did not manage to bring it down. Keystone cops. (laughs) Um, Another alleged that um, some women were coming out of a social club late one night, and something swooped down upon them, and they thought it was the Jersey Devil and got into their hair and terrorized them, which, um, bats. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly, there was also a trolley car full of passengers in Haddon Heights who thought that they saw the Jersey Devil and would not let them off of the trolley car. (laughs) Uh, I'm just, I'm trying to imagine. (laughs) No, nope, sorry, nope, ladies, you cannot go. Folks, you're stuck. You know, this trolley is, you just can't get off. It's a trolley from hell. It's like the MTA, I imagine. (laughs) But witnesses there said that they thought they saw a large flying kangaroo. So wait, when was that? This is 1909. Okay. Had we discovered kangaroos by that point? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we knew what kangaroos were. I'm just trying to make sure that all the facts line up. Well, and kangaroos are scary. Like, they're cute, but they're... I actually don't find them very cute. I find them big, mean, and aggressive. Boys, especially. Yes. They look like bodybuilders who then could... Roid it out. um, F you up. Yeah. And they do. Yes. (laughs) Not you specifically. Um, Another trolley car full of people saw it in Burlington where they said it scurried across their yard. In West Collingswood, it appeared on the roof of a house and was described, quote, as ostrich-like. Firemen then arrived and turned the hose on the ostrich-like creature, but it attacked them and then flew away. And that um, throughout January, people reported that their livestock, particularly chickens, were being taken. They're delicious. I mean, I do like chicken. Yes. Um, Basically, that they would find blood. And then again, that's pretty normal, right, that creatures take chickens because they're dumb and easy prey. Um, But again, they were finding footprints that were not like foxes or coyotes or anything like that. Um, that is the point at which we have the most reported sightings in a short period of time. Okay. And also when it became sort of, um, tabloid fodder. Right. Right. All these tabloids are reporting about the Jersey Devil, etc. But we have lots more stories. I don't know how many we want to go through, but we have them in 1927 when a cab driver got a flat tire and was changing a flat tire in Salem City. Um, where he said that he heard something land on the roof of his taxi, and he looked up and he saw a creature that he didn't understand who was then thumping aggressively on the roof of his car, Um, and then he ran away from the car. (laughs) Um, Sightings in the 20th century, like the later 20th century, for example, um, there were some sightings in 1960, and a bounty of $250,000 was put on the capture of the beast. That's quite a bit of money. Yeah, but no one got it. Lazy. No. Um, later on in 1960, police right throughout New Jersey were hanging up posters saying, the Jersey Devil's not real. Calm down. But a circus owner then actually put his flyers on top of the police flyers, <laughs> saying that he would offer a $100,000 reward for anyone who would bring the creature to him dead or alive. Um, and, of course, he kept his $100,000 because no one brought the creature alive or dead. Right. 
We have some um, first-hand accounts, and I wanted to read maybe one or two of these. Sure. So we're not just looking at historic newspapers, but right. people who are talking about their specific examples. This one is called, Don't Ever Camp in the Pine Barrens Alone. Fair enough. Truthfully, though, you probably should never camp alone. It's actually a terrible idea, because if something happens to you... Well, you're dead. D-E-D. Dead. D-E-D? D-E-D. Dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, because oftentimes, depending on where you are in the wilderness, your cell phone's not going to work properly. You know, it's just a bad idea all around. So this person, who was named Keith... Keith. <laughs> Stupid Keith. Why? Oh, gosh. <laughs> He writes, quote, I spent a lot of time in the Pine Barrens, and this is allegedly where Mother Leeds lived, was in the Pine Barrens. And I'll be frank, I don't know where that is in New Jersey, but we'll just roll with it. Yeah, I want to say it's like... I think it's in South Jersey, but... South, I want to say it's like southwestern New Jersey. Okay. If the devil, if the pine, if the pine, if the, 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 oh my, if the Jersey devil is being seen in Philadelphia, it's got to be in western Jersey. Okay. Well, so Pine Barrens... Listeners who are from New Jersey is where the origin of this tale begins. So he says, I spent a lot of time in the Pine Barrens when I was growing up in New Jersey and had my share of strange experiences. When I was about 13, I went camping alone near Hampton Furnace. Where are your parents? That's my question. Letting a 13-year-old camp by himself. I had a bow with me and went looking for a rabbit dinner about an hour before sundown. Something started following me back in the trees. It's probably the rabbit. Bent on vengeance. <laughs> yes. There shall be blood tonight. <laughs> it tailed me back to my camp and circled when I cooked my dinner. This kept up until about two hours after dark, and let me tell you, it was one dark night. I finally decided that my visitor had moved on and crawled into my tent. When I just started to calm down, I heard a foot stomp right down behind the tent. Oh. That's a foot stomp. <laughs> Sound effects. Signing up for quality podcast. Okay. I got all set to jump out when this thing, whatever it was, started screaming. I would compare the volume of the scream to a large truck's horn. And I should note that lots of the tales say that it has a scream that is not like other animals or human. I couldn't decide what to do. I had my bow and knife, but they didn't seem like much. After several blasts, it just stopped. I didn't hear a sound except my heart for about an hour. I was sure that if I stuck my head out of that tent, I'd lose it. In the morning, I found no tracks in the pine needles. To this day, I still don't sleep in tents. I'd rather take my chances in the open. Which doesn't seem like the best plan. Well, it doesn't seem to make much of a difference. I mean, I somehow don't think that thin layer of nylon makes you any more or less safe than sleeping outside. Yes, um, and there are a lot of tales of... um, People out canoeing or camping who hear this, like, horrible sound. Right. Um, but not a lot of specific sightings. Okay. Um, there is one, though, from a um, person named Sonny, which wants to tell us about his sighting of the Jersey Devil. He was driving up Route 9 in Bayville at around 10 p.m. There were two cars in front of me, and we were traveling at about 50, or 35 miles per hour. To the right of Route 9 is a mini-mall-type building with woods behind it. To the right is all woods. All of a sudden, I saw this big thing running across Route 9. It looked like one of the classic pictures of the Jersey Devil. It had no tail, no fur, its ribs showed, and it had a long, odd head with short ears that laid flat. It looked about 10 feet tall. I noticed it because the first car stepped on its brakes, as did the second car. When I looked ahead, I saw this thing galloping across Route 9 and straight into the woods. I was not really scared because it did not register yet. I stopped to mail something in the mailbox about 300 feet from the main road, and I saw a child's shirt, shorts, and one sneaker lying on the ground. (laughs) I mailed my letter, ran into my car, and laid rubber all the way home. I am certain I saw the Jersey Devil. No one believes me. They say it's a deer. I have never seen a deer with quotes that big that fast or that weird looking in my entire life what is really creepy is that the other two people driving in front of me stepped on their brakes so they saw it too crazy thing though not to show any shade at that story Mm -hmm. um this does sound not like the jersey devil because it doesn't sound winged or flying 
Well, it has it does have legs. Yes. And so in a lot of the images, it is shown walking similar to how um, in the images, it kind of has legs that are bird-like. I'm showing Dr. Ed, and I'll post some pictures. Right. It has some legs that are kind of bird-like. Um, so I'm but, not sure. Yeah, I mean, the way, again, the way the story describes it, it does sound something something more like um, uh, whatever the, the hooved animals like that would actually run. But fair enough. I mean, again, no shade. You know, all love to your fictional story. Not your fictional story, but the author's fictional story. <laughs> um, just in the interest of time, kind of keeping an eye on the time, um, I am going to show Dr. Ed something because there aren't a lot of photographs or video alleged sure. of the Jersey Devil. Most of what we have are drawings that people do after the fact mm-hmm. or... Um, you know, people who are like, well, I heard something weird or I saw something weird. But, allegedly, there is a video of the Jersey Devil. Okay. And it comes from a um, gentleman named David Black. Okay. And, of course, Dr. Everyone will share the link. I right? will. Um, which supposedly captured the Jersey Devil with his phone's camera. Um Oh, okay. There's two. There's allegedly two videos. Okay, sorry. And there's another one by Emily Martin that is supposedly the same creature. Both of these two people claim that they did not doctor the videos in any way. Okay. Um, I'm going to show Dr. Ed the um, video. This is a whole new adventure in podcasting. Yes. And we'll see what he thinks. All right. So it's very short. It's about 18 seconds. <laughs> so, Dr. Ed, do you want to describe what you're seeing? Imagine Barney with wings. It looks like um, kind of like a little baby dragon stuffed. It could be a plushie. Uh-huh. I mean, it's very shadowy. You don't see any details on it. No, but to me it looks like someone... <laughs> it looks like someone threw a stuffed animal into the air and then right. someone, like... I don't know if Photoshop's the right word, but edit it so it looks like its wings are flapping. Yes. Um, but there are plenty of other tales, but a lot of them are very similar, which okay. is they're outside, especially at night. They hear this scream right. that everyone can't describe. And people claim, like, it's not things like coyotes, which scream, right? Or it's not things like when animals are attacked by predators, they will scream. Right. Um, they'll let out a keen or, you know, some kind of sound. And they say, well, no, no, no. Like, I'm an avid camper. You know, it's not that. Right. And they're like, and it's not a person. It's a very clear, different sound. Sure. Um, but I have I have questions about this Jersey Devil. It's fair. I, my big thing is, I don't understand how it flies. With wings. Yes. But, Question answered. All right, moving on. No. no, but there is a reason that the things that fly in our world are tend to be a little bit smaller creatures and tend also to have very specific you know, biology to them. Um, you know, hollow bones because so the wings can actually carry right. them up. But I had seen something before. I feel like it was on Mythbusters or something where they were like, if humans grew wings, could they fly? And the answer was no. Right, we're too heavy. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that's the same thing for things like kangaroos. Yeah, perhaps. Well, and then there are flightless birds, right? And they are flightless because they're too big. Right. They're too heavy. Right. Right? And, you know, bats can fly because of how their bodies are shaped with the wings. Right. And this kind of looks like a silly little thing that has, like, attached wings on its back. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I think it's an interesting um, folklore. Urban legend. Okay. I don't know. What are you thinking about the Jersey Devil? Um, well, I think that uh, anything is possible in this crazy mixed-up world. I've never been to the Pine Barrens. Um, I Though I will say many times camping, uh, you do hear things that mm-hmm. um, you, you're pretty sure that that's not something you have heard before. Um, now, again, with some of the stories, I'm like, why would this creature follow and then circle for two hours and then do nothing? 
Right, because right, it sounds like it wants your the rabbit. Right. Right, in that one story where he's out camping alone. Yeah. Like, you would just think it would take the rabbit. But, I mean, unless, again, like I said, it was the rabbit's relatives. I mean, I would believe that before. <laughs> Vengeance quest. <laughs> but I do think it's fun, right? Yes. And there's a lot of Jersey Devil... Um, you know, paraphernalia you can sure. buy. It's kind of like the Bigfoot, right? Sure. There's lots of stuff you can buy that has the Jersey Devil. It's a thing that Jersey has mostly embraced. Right. Right. Um, as something fun and something for, you know, to bring in tourists, etc. I didn't find too much where people have done the way they've done with Bigfoot. Kind of like serious studies to see right. if they can actually track down the Jersey Devil. Right. Um, the, other, the other thing I think that's worth noting in the whole narrative of it is that aside from other leads, there's really no stories of it actually harming people, right? Not that I could find. It was the way it was. There are plenty of stories of various cryptids where people write them off by saying, these are the kinds of attacks that you see with normal predators. Right. Like, yes, chickens die. Chickens get attacked. Yes. Um, we don't hear a lot of tales of very large um, livestock getting attacked, nor did I find any significant stories other than maybe one or two where somebody got scratched by something. Sure. Um, where we see much damage to people. Hmm. So if it is a creature that's real, it's attacking things that are smaller than it. Right. And we must be larger than it. Because we don't really see any attacks on us. There have been some tales of like dogs like mm. going outside and sure. not coming back. Sure. But again, those kinds of things that you see when you have, i I'll be frank, I don't know much about New Jersey um, wildlife. But, you know, where I grew up, there were lots of coyotes. So you didn't let your dogs out at night unless you were out there with them. Because right. you scared off the coyotes. And, you know, you'd, if you had chickens, you boarded them like you made sure they were inside not just in the coop but like in right. the house right to make sure the coyotes didn't get them okay so well we should transition in to the next story mm-hmm. right so i'm going to talk to you and our listeners about the mothman of point pleasant now point pleasant west virginia is a very small town of less than five thousand people that sits at the confluence of two rivers the ohio and the kanawa on the western edge of west virginia the mighty ohio The small town, which is situated in the High River Valley, is only about three miles long from end to end and is a traditional blue-collar working-class town filled with what, as one documentarian described, good, hard-working, honest people. The town itself has been a home base for agriculture for a very long time. It is not the mountainous West Virginia that we associate with Loretta Lynn and the coal miner Daughters Hollers. Um, rather, it is kind of a little bit flatter, more agriculture. There's a National Guard armory that's been there, a Naval Reserve base, even though it's not on the ocean. Mm-hmm. There's a Naval Manufacturing Plant and a now abandoned munitions plant that's known as TNT locally, um, located near what's called the McClintic Wood Wildlife Area. Okay. Or McClintic Wildlife Management Area. So it's a rural yes. area, not very... Inhabited on the banks of the Ohio River. Okay, I'm with it. In western West Virginia. Got it. Now, if you have somehow managed to avoid pop culture and monster hunting shows, you might think that this is just a simple town full of simple people and never realize that there seems to be a darkness that lingers along the riverbanks of the Ohio and the Kanawha that perches in trees and swoops down from the night, scaring and terrifying citizens and also serving as a harbinger of doom. <gasps> And yes, as I noted before, I'm talking about the Mothman at Point Pleasant. Oh, yeah. Now, anybody can see the Mothman. You all could go to Point Pleasant right now and see the Mothman because there's a 12-foot statue of the cryptid (laughs) in the town itself. It's got crystalline red eyes and a very fine and fit derriere. Yes, we uh, we have joked many times about how the statue looks like a bug, right? Kind of like the face to me looks like a bug. Yeah. Uh, It has wings. It has sort of um, buff arms. Yes. It has abs. Yes. And kind of very muscular legs and quite a tush. Yes. So you can go see it. But if we really want to understand the legend of Mothman, we actually need to go back in time and understand Point Pleasant a little bit. Okay. So this is that fun moment where I get to pretend to be a historian, which I am not, and share with you a little bit of background. 
So Point Pleasant itself has a very bloody history and has, a, and has, has actually seen a considerable amount of conflict and death in its time. Oh. Uh, much of the conflict was between the indigenous tribes in the region, the Shawnee in particular, mm-hmm. and the expanding white settlers. Ugh, white um, it is suggested that there are numerous indigenous graves around the area and that indeed there is an indigenous mass grave, which has never really been discovered, but mm. it's rumored of indigenous folks located in the McClintic Wildlife Management Area. Now, according to legends and lore, the indigenous tribes avoided the area. The McClintic. Uh, Yeah, this general area where Point Pleasant is. Oh, okay. um, Because of a bad or negative energy that occurs in areas where waters intermingle. So you got these two rivers coming together. Okay. Um, Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I did try to look it up to see if I could confirm it, but I'm not an expert in Shawnee culture. And uh, again, there's only so much I can do in a few minutes searching on the internet. Yeah, it does sound a little bit the way that a lot of urban legends in the United States, when it involves indigenous people's function, which is they just sort of ascribe vaguely spiritual things to indigenous people. Like, oh no, like that's not okay according to this tribe, blah, blah. But whether it's true or not, the white settlers had no concerns about entering the area, and this ultimately culminated in the battle between the indigenous tribes and the white settlers called the Battle of Point Pleasant in 1774. Now, in this battle, the Shawnee and Mingo tribes, under the leadership of Chief Cornstalk, banded together to defend the land south of the Ohio River from the invading Virginia militia under the leadership of Colonel Andrew Lewis. So Cornstalk's forces actually attacked Okay. And after a very grueling battle, which actually resulted in hand-to-hand combat, they were forced to retreat. They did not; mm-hmm. um, they were not successful. Lord Dunmar, who was the British governor of the Virginia colony, came in then with a secondary force, and the outnumbered Cornstalk. It was about a two-to-one outnumbering. He had between three to five hundred um, warriors on his side, and the white settlers had about a thousand to twelve hundred people, depending. And he was forced to sign the Treaty of Camp Charlotte, which ceded Shawnee claims to all the lands south of the Ohio River. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it basically means all of West Virginia and Kentucky. Yes, and for listeners who are confused because we keep saying Virginia and West Virginia, just remember that West Virginia doesn't become a state until essentially the Civil War. Right. So, But there's more to the story. Yes. Three years later, two Shawnee visited Fort Randolph, which was then built on the site of the battle, and they were then detained by the fort commander, Matthew Arbuckle. So Cornstalk's son, Elanipsko, came and was also detained by the fort's commander. Ugh. So then Cornstalk himself journeyed to the fort to demand the release of the Shawnee um, uh, detainees. And he, too, was also detained. White people okay. in Virginia, what you doing? So... While they were detained, a militia member was found murdered or killed outside of the fort. And the natural assumption of Arbuckle was that the Shawnee must have done it. And so he ordered the brutal murder of Cornstalk, his son, and the other two Shawnee. Now, it is rumored that with his dying breath, Cornstalk spat out a curse on the area for 200 years. Now, how do we know that? Well, they were demolishing a building a few years ago in, um, in, um, uh, goodness... Uh, Point Pleasant, and okay. it was a school, an old school. They found a closet, and they actually found a play that was written in 1923 that had that story in it. Hmm. So one of the local descendants of Cornstalk, who still lives in the area, she maintained that, well, clearly this is what white people did, right? Anything bad that happened, they ascribed it to you know, the indigenous peoples and these mythological curses and things right. like that. But even if that's not true, it is true that Point Pleasant has had more than its share of bad luck. Um, And most of the legends actually point to the start of this bad luck with a series of catastrophic floods that took place between 1913 and 1937 Mm -hmm. when the Ohio River leapt out of its banks. So the flood in 1913 Mm -hmm. killed 428 people, uh, destroyed some 20,000 homes. Um, The 1939 flood, uh, 1937 flood, sorry, killed... Uh, like 329 people or something like that, and destroyed a bunch of homes as well, as well as the other two. So this is the point where you can cue your Metallica listeners, where we have Enter the Birdman. Not the Sandman, Enter the Birdman. Oh, that's, a, that's gold. <laughs> that's gold, Jerry. So some 50 years prior to the first sighting of the creature that we now understand as Mothman in the 1960s, 
Locals in the area actually began to see a creature that was described as a huge bird with the head of a man with dark reddish glistening feathers and a 12-foot wingspan. Now, for reference, listeners, um, the largest bird in the world, okay, which is the wandering albatross, has a wingspan of 12 feet. An eagle, a bald eagle, has a wingspan between five to eight speed, feet, and a vulture has a wingspan between seven to nine feet. So this is a big, huge wingspan. Well, but I mean, even just think about your own wingspan, yeah. right? Your wingspan is roughly how tall you are. Right. So I'm currently... Three feet? <gasps> no. I'm not short, sir. <laughs> no, you are not. I'm perfectly average for a woman. <laughs> I'm 5'6", so like my wingspan is about 5'6". Right. I'm 6'3", so my wing, wingspan is about 6'3". So double me, you would have 12 feet. So cool. it's huge. It's a big one. Now, this creature, this bird man, was seen well into the 1940s by numerous motorists who were driving along the river um, and would see this creature, right? And all those narratives were actually documented in a book written by Professor James Gay Jones of Glenville State College. Um, the book is titled Haunted Valley and More Folk Tales of Haunted Appalachia. Now, in fact, okay, and this is where we start to get into Mothman territory. We have all these Birdman sightings, right? But it's never really been called Mothman. Right. Okay. But on November 11th in 1966, a National Guardsman at the Armory that was located near the McClintic uh, Wildlife Management Area reported seeing, perched in a tree... A brownish, half-man, half-bird figure. Mm -hmm. So this thing is in the tree. And then a, quote, few days later, and I say a few days later because there is confusion in the dates. There are, the dates are similar, but they're never repeating the same date. Okay. So I've heard anywhere from three days to immediately after, right? Okay. But a few days later, there were four grave diggers in uh, Clendenin, West Virginia, which is about 90 miles from Point Pleasant. They were digging this grave in the evening, and they spotted something strange. And what they saw was a massive figure that was moving from tree to tree. Now, Flying or leaping, or did they explain? It just said it was moving. Okay. Um, they described it only as a large brown human being. Okay. Okay. So they didn't describe it as bird-like. But again, we're getting... So matching some kind of hopping or yeah, leaping. Yeah, and stuff or, in yeah. the trees, right? Okay, okay. Now, before we take this deep dive into Mothman, which we will do, um, it's worth noting that there have been lots of really odd happenings in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, so aside from the brown Birdman figure that has been talked about, um, in 1952, the um, Athens, Athens Press, I believe, is the newspaper, reported on something that was called the Flatwoods Monster. And I find this story absolutely delightful. You can see a drawing of it on the internet. But in the same area, um, eyewitnesses reported coming face-to-face with a 10-foot-tall Frankenstein-like monster. It had a blood-red face. It had green body. It had a nauseating smell. It generated heat waves in the area. Uh, and there have been lots of then also reports of just weird aerial phenomena, lights and UFOs. I know you just looked at the picture, right? It is delightful. <laughs> I fell in love with the Flatwoods monster when I saw that. That's pretty cute. When I saw that picture. So this is an area that, aside from the Birdman, has had all sorts of weird stuff happening to it. But let's get back to Mothman. So in 1966, shortly after the grave diggers had seen this bird creature... Merle Partridge and his wife were at home watching TV. So they live in the Point Pleasant area. And again, it's 1966. It's nighttime. They're sitting watching TV. And the TV starts to make a noise. Okay. And the noise was like it was winding up. So you know like when tornado sirens sound, right? It's like... Well, and old TVs that had tubes made it sound like that. Okay. And as it was winding up, it began to emit this increasingly loud, high-pitched sound. Now, their dog, Bandit, was outside, and the dog, Bandit, started to uh, bark like crazy 
as this high-pitched noise continued on the TV. Okay. So Merle got up to turn the TV off because the sound was actually starting to hurt his ears. Now, you can actually hear his story. There's a documentary on Mothman. Um, it's on Amazon Prime, so you can actually hear him tell the story. Okay. And the sound was hurting his ears and his wife's ears. So he got up to turn the TV off, and the TV tube actually exploded. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. Now, at the same time of the explosion, bandits barking intensified, okay, like crazy loud barking. And so Merle ran outside, and when he ran outside, he saw two things. Mm -hmm. He saw one bandit staring off and barking at the field where there was a pump house off in the distance, right? And then he also saw two red lights. Yes. Okay. Now, the red lights... Um, there's some, again, misinformation in the, quote, literature about this because some stuff you read, they actually say he saw two red lights that looked like bicycle reflectors that looked like eyes staring at him. But that's actually not how he describes it. Okay. He described it as two red lights that were whirling around. Like, like in a, a circle? Yeah. Okay. He, he thought it was actually a helicopter, something oh, like a helicopter, okay. but there was no noise right, okay. or anything that would come from it. So Bandit then took off, okay? That's and the he, dog, right? Yes, Bandit okay. the dog took off, and he called the dog, and it's really funny. He's like, that dog never listens to me anyway. <laughs> the dog ran off into the woods, disappeared. He said, well, dog's going to come back when the dog comes back. He walks in. His wife is, the lights disappeared. He walks in with his West Virginia sense of uh, uh, laissez-faire, right? <laughs> uh, his wife is sweeping up the glass. They clean up the mess. They go to bed. The dog's never seen again. Oh, puppy. Right. Now, just a few days after that. What year was this again? 1966. Okay. So just a few days after that, near the TNT, the old abandoned munition mm-hmm. area, yep. um, a couple of, uh, uh, two couples mm-hmm. um, reported their encounter with what we now understand as Mothman. Right. And this is a story that's much more well known. Now, the munitions factory is abandoned, Okay. So it's this big, huge factory, and it was very popular um, for young people to go hang out at, hang mm-hmm. out at because it was secluded, it was isolated, it was really great for drag racing because there were roads out there that you could drive on, and of course it was great for a sweet, sweet teenage loving, right? Whatever that happened to look like at that time. Um, now, with another couple? Well, I don't know if that was their goal. All right. But Roger Scarberry and Steve Mallet, okay, we're driving in uh, uh, Roger's 1957 Chevy Bel Air with their wives. Okay, so they're a married couple. Okay. Okay. And they're driving down the abandoned road, okay, towards the munitions factory. Why? Is, is it like a thoroughfare th- kind of road? No, they're just out and about, right? Okay. okay yeah. Out in this isolated area. Who knows what they're going to do, right? I, I'm just curious if anything was back there that we know of. Sure. Please continue. And... As they were driving down the road, they say they saw standing on the road in front of them a creature with white wings, okay, that was roughly, okay. roughly seven feet tall, that was light gray in color, okay? Okay. As they got closer, the wings spread out. Oh, no. And the creature started to run. Oh, God. With a very awkward gait towards the North Power Plant and actually went into the North Power Plant. So they abandoned. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so they're like, screw this. <laughs> they took off. Okay? As you they were going to go go to Point Pleasant. They wanted to go to the sheriff. They were very hesitant because they didn't think anyone would believe them, but it was weird enough that they wanted to report it. So as they turned left onto Route 62, they looked behind them and they discovered that the creature was actually chasing them. Flying or running? Flying. <gasps> now they were going, according to them, and again, the story's actually been reported in the paper. Uh, they're going 90 to 95 miles an hour down this straight stretch of road. Um, and it actually maintained speed with them. It never got in front of them, okay? It stayed above the car. So it would, like, kind of fall back, and they could see it fall back, and they would go above the car mm-hmm. again. Um, and it chased them all the way to the city limits. Hmm. Okay, And, again, their story is actually reported in the Athens Messenger, and you can read all about it. Now... After this, what happens is we get then multiple sightings and interactions um, in the following days. Within like a week, um, we get eight distinctive reports of sightings of this Mothman creature. Okay, 
Um, yes. Sorry, I raised my hand because I have a question. Yeah. Was it reported in the news very quickly? That Do I, we know? Um, that it probably went to the news a few days afterwards. I'm just curious because also we right. can, you exactly. know, like a panic from... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this included two volunteer firefighters that say they saw a very large bird with red eyes Okay. Um, in there as well. And what we saw was a pattern of escalation. Okay. Where again, we just started to see more and more sightings of Mothman, but then more and more sightings of other weird things. Um, UFOs reportedly, um, the men in black reportedly. Which and we've then, talked about before. And then something called the Grinning Man. Yeah. Um, Indrid Cold was his name. He supposedly crashed a spaceship, came out. He was wearing a blue metallic suit, had a weird grin, communicated telepathically with this dude. Don't care for that. Okay. All of this brings us, with respect to Mothman, to 1967, okay, December 15th. Okay. So it's been just over a year since the first Mothman sighting. Okay. okay. Um, and on December 15th, okay, traffic was bad on something called the Silver Bridge. Now, the Silver Bridge was a bridge that was built. It was a span bridge that connected Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to Gal- Galio- Galli- Gallipolis, Gallipolis, Ohio. Okay, which is a much smaller town, about 3,000 people. That's how it's pronounced. Is it? Yes. I, I genuinely have always heard it yeah. as Gallipoli. No, they, they call it Gallipolis in the... I believe you. Yeah. I just... I lived in be. Ohio. No, I lived in Ohio, but in yeah. Cincinnati and Columbus, and I, I probably they were just mispronouncing it. So this bridge, which was built in 1928, was packed with cars. It was payday. It was a Friday. It was basically... Um, 10 days before Christmas, right? Uh-huh. There were lots of semis on the bridge, lots of other things on the bridge, lots of cars. So basically what happened is one of the lights was out um, on the bridges that managed the flow of traffic. And so traffic was stuck on the bridge. Um, so all these cars were sitting on the bridge. This was a bridge that had been built at a time when cars were much lighter. Okay, The average Model T weighed about 1,500 pounds. Um, the average car in 1967 weighed about 4,000 pounds, right? And then you had semis on top of it. And also, it's different when the weight is moving swiftly right. versus just sitting and hold, you know. So the bridges engineers, according to what I've read, weren't particularly imaginative, nor were they particularly cautious when they built the structure. Um, there's very little redundancy in design, meaning if one piece failed, then there's really nothing else to prevent the entire bridge from failing. Mm-hmm. And on that cold December day, that's exactly what happened. Um, without warning, a single eye bar near the top of the bridge on the Ohio side, so it's Ohio's fault, breaks, okay, snaps, okay. The chain snaps and the bridge, um, which seizes equilibrium disturbs, basically falls to pieces, plunging cars and pedestrians into the river mm-hmm. below. So 46 people died, um, either by drowning or being crushed by the wreckage. Now, this is the connection, right? There had been all these Mothman sightings. And, of course, there was this sort of this notion that the Mothman clearly never meant good things. If you saw Mothman, then bad things were going to happen. And this bridge collapse was just another really terrible and bizarre thing. And so a local writer, you know, I heard it described one of two ways. One was that he made a connection between the two, Mothman and the bridge collapse, or that he conflated the two. Okay. Right? But the idea has persisted that Mothman, okay, um, and the visit, a visitation from Mothman predicts um, some sort of disaster, mm-hmm. okay, or is an epilogue. Of a disaster. Because remember, the first Birdman sightings happened right after that really bad flood in 1913. Okay, So that's that's how that connection has been established. Now, there's lots of people who suggest that Mothman has been seen not only in Point Pleasant, but around the world right before disasters happen. So before the um, disaster of Chernobyl in 1986, an employee reported seeing a bird-like man-creature in the trees around Chernobyl. Um, there are reports of a mothman or a bird-like creature, man-creature, um, around the I-35 West um, Minnesota-Minneapolis bridge that collapsed. Um, in 2009, when we saw right before the Mexican swine flu outbreak, um, residents of La Junta in the Mexico state of uh, Chihuahua began noticing a strange creature 
Um, it was very tall and hairy with two expansive wings, wide bloodshot eyes. One young student reported that the creature chased him relentlessly. Quote, those were 15 minutes of maximum despair, he no. said. Um, but he remained anonymous during the interview. Um, there's also been reports that in 2011, when the earthquake hit Fukushima and the nuclear disaster at Fukushima, that a Mothman-like creature had also been seen there as well. So as for sightings of actual Mothman in Point Pleasant, okay, they've actually declined since the 1960s. Okay, Because obviously they're busy doing other things, other harbingers of doom. But ever so often, <clears throat> in Point Pleasant, exciting emerges. Um, so in 2016, um, a man who had just moved to Point Pleasant spotted what he saw as a mysterious bird-like creature jumping from tree to tree. Now, he claimed to local reporters that he was totally unaware of the local legend of Mothman, okay, until he spotted the beast himself. So he didn't see that Point Pleasant has made it a living off of the Mothman. Yes. In 2002, they actually started a Mothman festival. So it's in there. It just had its 20th anniversary. Yeah. And again, in the middle of the town, like there's that big Mothman the 12 statue. Foot, 12 foot statue. And then like statue. there are lots of stores around there that sell Mothman merchandise yes. that have like, um, I know the BuzzFeed boys went and had like yeah. a Mothman pizza where they basically yeah. made a fake Mothman yeah. out of olives on their pizza. Yeah. And there's a Mothman plushie you can buy. So... But that's the story of Mothman. Now, what I like about Mothman, and since we're kind of getting close to our time, mm-hmm. um, what I like about Mothman is that Mothman is an interesting cryptid that has a long history of observation um, that lots of people talk about, and there are some consistencies. Now, there are some people who say that Mothman is actually something else, and they say that Mothman is actually not Mothman at all, but it is a crane. A particular type of crane, the snow crane, I believe is what it is. Mm. And the snow crane is a very big bird, and it's got red around its eyes, red red plumage around its eyes. Um, I don't find that very compelling. Why? One, because I don't want to believe it, because I like Mothman a lot. And I think (laughs) Mothman, I want to believe, much as I want to believe that Sasquatch exists, I want to believe Mothman exists, because I think that is one of the things that makes our world fantastic. But I also... Don't buy that it is a crane because um, with the exception of the one person who specifically said the wings were white, um, the body has never been white. The body's been gray. The body's been red. um, Very different than this particular crane. How does he go? Because I've never understood this. Because every picture of him, even the statue, he looks like a bird. So how does it go from Birdman to Mothman? I don't really know. I think it is in the renditions because, like, his face, a lot of it has to do with the eyes, right? So I think people originally were calling him Birdman uh, because they would see the wings, but it was always kind of a human head. But I think the eyes and the glowing red eyes, which became more descriptively talked about as, like, jewel-like, yeah, um, which is more insect-like, yeah. I don't know. Um, and maybe someone saw some feelers hanging off there like moths had. I don't know. That's actually a very good question. Yes. And um, I learned about the Mothman, actually, because of the Richard Gere, Laura Linney film, The Mothman Prophecies. Yes. Um, which I saw late one evening with a friend of mine. And I remember us driving home. And <laughs> I live in, like, not a super rural area, but rural-ish. And so lots of people have those reflectors at the end of their driveway. Because otherwise, you'll never see, right. you know. Um, and so a friend of mine screamed and, like, hit me hard <laughs> because we were driving and my light reflected. And they just happened the way we were driving to look not, like, far away from each other, but look like eyeballs. Right. Um, and so every time I, I – genuinely, every time I see those, I think of Mothman. Well, it is an interesting thing. Mothman is a phenomena in popular culture. There's mm-hmm. actually a song about Mothman set to the tune of YMCA. Mothman is really fun. It's fun to listen to. Well, and I think thing if I could talk, one thing that I genuinely like about cryptids is that they are fun. Yes, as in people have fun with them. Um, while there are people who take it extremely seriously, as they should, most people have a lot of fun with it, right? right? Which is, you know, something very tragic happened. Obviously, like we don't want to make fun of. A bridge collapse that's killing lots of people, but the rest of it, sort of like this Jersey Devil thing, you know, that or the Mothman or Bigfoot, right? That you have your mug here that has Bigfoot carrying balloons, right? That we have a lot of fun with our cryptids, right? right? It's just kind of 
silly. And it's amazing. So anyway, dear listeners, uh, we would like to be respectful of your time. I'm going to kick you in the shin and shove you out the door. That is okay. Um, But we want to thank you for listening to this season of PhD Paranormal. Our longest season to date. Yes, it is amazing. And it's amazing because of you, because you continue to tune in and listen to us. And we are deeply appreciative. Yes, thank you, because we could just talk about this stuff on our own just to have fun. But we make this because people listen to it and seem to enjoy it, mostly. Yes. And as always, if you have suggestions for things that you would like us to investigate, let us know. We do have, again, some loose plans to talk about some stuff the next season. Uh, We are going to probably talk about Scottish ghosts and Icelandic folklore because that's where I'll be. Yes, Um, and a friend and colleague sent us some suggestions of things in the Missouri and Iowa area that we are going to look into. And I'm still trying to organize an overnight at the Beatty Beatty Mansion. Um, Again, I've got some people interested, although... Dr. Evan wants to be comfortable so she will not spend the night. Because she wants to sleep in her own bed, not because she's afraid of Eliza, the poisoning wife. She's not a murderer. Okay, so we're going to have two t-shirts made, I think. One that says, don't scare me, I have diarrhea. And one that says, she's not a murderer. She's totally a murderer. She is not. Anyway. Um, So I think that's all we got for you, friends. Yes, but sincerely, thank you, everybody, because yes. we do this you know, every other week for you all, and we wouldn't do it if people didn't listen. Absolutely. So, so until we see you in August. Yes, stay spooky. Stay Check out our Facebook. Stay spooky. We'll po- we'll post, I'll post a Jersey Devil. It'll be active. All right. <laughs> Bye, friends. Bye.